Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. People, few podcasts will actually make you tougher when you listen to them. This episode of Going Off Track will do just that. It is Stephen Brad and Jonah, and today's guest is Rusty Pistachio, guitarist for H2O, jewelry maker, Peanut Jewelry. Please check him out. Check out his wares. Uh, Rusty is... You know, you know Rusty's a tough guy because he's not too tough to make jewelry yeah that's the thing like when you meet when you meet rusty and you're like wow you're an h2o like hardcore punk band um rusty's got you know a rep to him but anybody who meets him like he's the most soft-spoken like nice guy and then you start hearing the stories. (laughs) yes and then he tells the stories in his soft-spoken just nice way and then you discuss the jewelry, and he's like, "Oh yeah." And I, I mean, I've been to his jewelry studio where he just designs things out of wax and cuts them. And we were we were in a, a jewelry store one time together. It was actually where I was getting my my wedding ring, and this jeweler had like some design that was looked like a, like a pretzel on a belt buckle, but it had this kind of thing. And Rusty went, "I would have just made the pretzel as a necklace. That's cool. Little <laughs> diamonds as salt. Like that's brilliant." And he has wow. this whole line of like food of like ice cream cones and things he's made. And it's super cute and super cool. And right then you don't think you would use the word cute in any regard to Rusty Pistachio, but there you go. Oh, come on. Rusty's cute. Rusty is a cute guy. Um, he's a good dude and uh, he's got some stories to tell. Uh, I have a bunch of his jewelry, but I don't wear it too much anymore. I guess I feel like there's a point as a dude, like when you get older, you don't, you can't pull off certain necklaces I never really got into jewelry although someone recently was like do you work alone and i was like no and they're like you should work alone <laughs> they were like they're like you will <laughs> girls love when guys work alone i was like really i feel like if i work alone i walked up like girls would be like what like, you smell weird. like i feel like they would look at me and be like this doesn't add up well the trick is you only put a little on because you don't want to overpower the scent of the girl <laughs> that may be my problem i feel like whenever i put it on i'm like oh, i don't know and then i just throw it all You're over douse yourself in yeah. your car <laughs> yeah yes exactly <laughs> See, I like my wife said, you know, you like you don't wear cologne. I never said anything about it, and I went, well, "Would you like me to wear?" It? And she went, "Well, yeah, I kind of dig that." I said, "Well, pick your favorite scent, and I'll put it on because I don't care." Like, right. like I also have a really bad sense of smell anyway. But yeah, you wear cologne, Brad? I don't think I've ever even. I'm trying to remember if, like, when I was even like. 16 if i even tried it and i don't think i've ever used anything i've never worn i think it maybe at one point 
you know, like when I got to be shaving age or something and like my dad gave me a shaving kit that maybe there was like an Old Spice clone or something <laughs> there and I may have... But that's as close as I think I ever got. Well, we all use the X body spray, which is, you know, sort of similar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's those girls lined up at the door. Those commercials are real. I was told when I was much younger that I had a really nice, musky, natural scent. So I didn't want to cover that up. I don't know if it's still true. I'll have uh, uh, my wife probably wouldn't even know because she's probably over it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember my wife saying one time, oh, I smell really, really nice today. What's that? I'm like, speed stick. <laughs> they didn't have unscented like I normally get. <laughs> that's sheer powder. Uh, or like certain kind of, you know, I used to always smell like, like whatever hair product I was hurling into my yes. wig. Oh, you know, there's this, there's this hair product and I don't know. It's like a really cheap conditioner. I don't, I've never actually figured out what it is, but, um, it whatever it is, like one of my first girlfriends used it, and whenever I smell it on, and like, it, it, it makes me go crazy. <laughs> it's like, and I the hope, thing is, is my wife, my wife has even used it a few times. Like if we were traveling or something, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, what's that smell? And then I'll maul her. <laughs> <laughs> See, Trish has this, like, uh, she has this specific like uh, Burberry like perfume she wears. And doesn't wear it often, but like when we first started dating, it was like everywhere and it smells amazing. So like now I just miss it when allergy season hits because I can't smell a damn thing. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, on Nasonex steroids and oh, Alivert and yeah. whatever else. And I just, I literally just deadens it. So far away, gentlemen, but it just doesn't, <laughs> like I miss that. I miss anything. It's like olfactory is important. And apparently smell is tied to memory. We learned oh, that yeah. from Norman Brandon. Norman Brandon, yeah, because Norman doesn't have a sense of smell. So he said, yeah, yeah, he said it affected his memory more than his taste. Wow. Not having a sense of smell. Fascinating. Did Very we? Fascinating. Go back and listen to that. Yeah. Did we turn the opening to Rusty's podcast into a discussion of perfume and cologne? Yeah, yeah. because Rusty, Rusty is so manly that I feel like <laughs> we need to balance it out. I mean, us talking already is balancing it out. <laughs> but us talking about perfume and scents is, is helping. Rusty talking about his motorcycle experiences and getting in fights and just being a total badass. It's going off yeah, when 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 we got out there, it was um, the heavy metal, the Steel Panther thing was like, the, oh yeah, yeah, you gotta go see Steel Panther, they're amazing, blah blah blah. And you go see them like, why? I didn't want to see these bands when they play. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like shitty music with shtick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that tired old joke about the girl with the tits or something, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I went to the Viper Room and saw C.C. DeVille's new band. New uh, band, Samantha oh, Six. The Antidote? <laughs> no. I remember Samantha Dude, Six. It's and then he was like, who wants to... I was... I had a few drinks, and he was like, who wants to come on stage and sing Talk Dirty to me? And I totally went up. I have other people, and it was I'd like, like that part where it's like, pick up, <laughs> pick up your guitar and talk to me. And I'd say that, and then it's like, you're next to CCD Bill, and he plays this solo. And I was like, this is so awesome. That would, yeah, that would make classic. I, I, I interviewed Poison when I was at VH1, and Brett Michaels was the coolest guy, like could not have been nicer, could not have been cooler. And he went, hey, you want to come out on stage and, 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 and sing on Don't Eat Nothing But A Good Time? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Did you? So there's footage of me like on stage screwing up. No way. <laughs> jumping up and down 
Like, like, and all I kept doing was I was doing like the, the Mike Patton Faith No More pogo, just yeah. jumping up and down with my hands behind my back to the point where I wouldn't stop doing it. Brett Michaels comes over and does it with me. <laughs> he starts jumping and jumping and jumping. And it was. Is there uh, footage? Of I would love to see that. Oh, I have yeah. it. Yeah. You do? Do you really? I have long blonde hair and I'm wearing a poison <laughs> hockey jersey. Oh, my God. Uh, I would frame that and put it like I would literally put that up in my apartment. Class. Uh, with us today is Rusty Pistachio. You know him from H2O. Rusty also has a jewelry company called Peanut Jewelry. You've seen his jewelry on band members from Green Day to AFI to didn't Axl Rose have a piece on yeah. of yours? Yeah, I think that was the first the first time I when they did the Rockin' in Rio when they came back mm-hmm. before Chinese Democracy, they were still working on it and they're like, oh let's make this comeback. I saw him jumping around on I think it was like MTV covered Rockin' in Rio. And he's jumping around on stage, the braids, and, and I see this necklace bouncing. And, and we recorded at Rumbo, and the, the they had been there three years, and the, the people who ran Rumbo were like, we want to buy him a gift, and we know you make this jewelry stuff. So they bought a necklace for him, and, and um, he actually wore it. So it's one of those, you know, I didn't make it, per se, make it exactly for him, but they bought it. He and got he wore it. it. So it was even better to know that, oh, yeah, he liked that shit. <laughs> Wasn't that Captain and Tennille's studio? Yeah. That, was that, were they the ones who, were they the owners at the time? Or they were they? definitely the owners at the time, but um, it, but they actually came in the studio when we were there, and um, she was doing, like, a covers album. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's Captain and Tennille. He came in with the glasses and the hat, still wears the hat. So What are you guys awesome. all about? <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was weird. Awesome. Oh, love will times. keep you together. That's amazing. So, uh, Rusty, I want you. I want to see if you can remember. One, Ru- Rusty is one of my dearest friends, uh, and and Brad's dear friends too. Uh, Joan and Mike, just straight up acquaintances. But uh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, we. <laughs> same. Rusty, do you remember? Could come back, Mike. <laughs> Lame. Thanks. You suck. Rusty, you, you can tell I haven't slept for two weeks. Yeah, like, no, so, uh, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm just like, dude. what? But do you do you remember how you and I met? Yeah. <laughs> I was um, a friend of Deb, a friend of Debbie's was like, we need a, we're doing this thing called the the key party, and it, or uh, that's was yes, key, key yes, party, the key party, and, and if you just Makeovers. stop right there, it changes the entire story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Debbie's was, Rusty's awesome wife, who we have to get in here as well, just because the stories she can tell are hilarious. Oh yeah, so we um, we get to this, this, we're helping a friend who wants to do a pilot for this thing called the key party, and. They're like, okay, we got three couples. You throw your keys in the bowl, and the the woman of one couple has to remake or make over the guy and another couple. And we were supposed to be like this biker, tattooed biker couple. So I had a gross, scruffy beard and and dress like biker style, and and it was um, supposed to be reality, but you know you soon find out that reality is totally scripted but, but they were like yeah we got we got this kick-ass guy who's gonna host a show he's like the the tyler durden of um talk shows or something like that yeah. and, um, and they were propping up steven like you know he's gonna he's gonna kick everyone's ass and check this guy out and blah blah, blah. And, and um deb debbie my wife sees him and she's like he's awesome he knows all this everything about music he knows this he would be perfect for my best friend trisha and <laughs> So she goes into that whole key party so, thing. So, so Debbie comes in and, thinking, and wa- walks in and like wearing an, he has an alkaline trio necklace on. I'm like, all right, so we're gonna talk. And she's like, oh yeah, my husband makes these, and then comes in rusty, you know, with this uh, biker helmet. I'm like, well, right on. How are you guys? And we do the show, which was terrible. Oh we yeah, do this pilot. 18, it was like eighteen hour shoot. Eight, 
18-hour awful experience, and Ugh. it ended so stupidly. And I knew the producers, and they were great people. And it was a pilot for E. We were all, like, it was paid by E. It was crazy. Um, but met and hung out with Debbie and Rusty. And uh, Debbie, at the time, well, she still does. She works for Conan O'Brien. Uh, and she would invite me to come sit in on sound checks. And uh, so I went there, and for one of the first ones was no effects. So mm. I went and hung out. And Franco I, on American? Was it, yeah, it was Frank on uh, American. Because I think it was their first television like in the U.S. Because they would never do TV. Never do TV. And they wanted to uh, – they had the line, uh, uh, we all know George Bush is an imbecile. He likes dick, but he hates homosexuals. Mm-hmm. And they oh. wouldn't let him say dick because it was <laughs> Dick Cheney. So they literally just had to say Cheney. Yeah. I think they said cock instead. No. Most likely. <laughs> that was their first and last. Um, first and last. Because um, there was one of those where um, certain things went down where um, – you knew the band was not going to be invited back. <laughs> was that was like limo and like a half shirt? Yeah. Yes, I totally have seen that. Doing like um, <laughs> I'm Ultravox or something. He just right? comes up from behind the keyboard <laughs> with those oh, new wave glasses and in <laughs> a half shirt. Everyone should watch this clip. It's amazing. No effects on uh, late night with Conan O'Brien. Yeah. So I'm hanging with Debbie, and I had just um, uh, like broken up with this girl I'd been with for two years too long, making it four. Was this, was this the queer eye? Yes, yes. Yeah. I was on queer eye. Dog for the straight guy. Could, it was a, a, a ten-year, two-year relationship, right? Oh yeah, it was. I was. It took too long, um, and so I was hanging out, and you know, Debbie, who's Rusty's wife, very blunt person. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you broke up with somebody? Oh my god, I'm going to tell hook you up with somebody. Yeah. You'd be <laughs> perfect for my friend Trisha. And I was like, Trisha. And she was like, Yeah, yeah. Tr-. And uh, she's like, She works over at VH1. And I went, Oh, I know that girl. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? I really liked her. We, we hit it off. Tell her tell her that, you know, I'm single now and see what she thinks. So Trish, who is now my wife. Thank you, Debbie and Rusty. Mother uh, of his children. Mother of my children. <laughs> she, she, this is how Debbie told Trish what I said. She went, hey, Trish, you know, Steven work, works over at Fuse, worked at VH1. You know him? She went, oh, yeah, I remember him. He said he's single now. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Some mic interface. So Trish is, Trish is like, "What's up with the attitude with Debbie?" Like, what attitude? And already it starts. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was ridiculous. So Rusty is Rusty and his wife are responsible for uh, me being happily married and, and having twin baby girls now. Yeah. Well, not that part. That part I did on my own, but thanks. <laughs> we weren't present for that. <laughs> I could really edit this show into really yeah, interesting shows. Yeah, right, uh, key party right into that. Key party yeah. right into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before, so before uh, H2O, uh, what was the band before them? Uh, a couple, I had a couple bands. Uh, I grew up, in, grew up in Maryland in the, the D.C. scene. Mm-hmm. So I had a... A band, uh, Roadside Pets, with uh, Todd Morris, the guitar player from H2O. Right. Me and Todd. Todd and Toby moved to Maryland from Rhode Island. And then um, we kind of met. Their their mom was going to manage this apartment complex. And she's like, oh, yeah, crazy Ma- Massachusetts accent. Like, oh, my God, my sons are going to be here soon. You got to <laughs> hang with them. And they skateboard and then that punk rock stuff. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I got to meet these kids. You know, here I'm like... You know, D.C., Maryland, hick dude. And they came down and said, hey, taught me how to skate. Check this shit out and started listening to punk rock. And then we started going to shows in D.C. And it's like 83, 84. And Probably a couple of good shows. 83, there's no 83. good things happening <laughs> around there. Yeah. 
we saw the actual emo <coughs> the actual emo scene start not the the screamo emo but um when uh, embrace played food for thought and oh, wow and um rights of spring and soulside king face like all all the good old shit but um we uh we started a band called roadside pets and um me and todd were were two singers and it was like uh we had a guitar player bass player drummer and two singers trading off vocals and all right kind of jumping around punk rock um like punky hardcore and um I remember we played with this band Bells of in DC, and um, I forget uh, Guy Guy from Fugazi. Right then it was Rise of Spring. He come, oh man, you guys are great. I love your band. And then <laughs> a couple years later, we see Fugazi, and they have two singers, and I'm going, yeah, we totally inspired those dudes to do that. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you the see little, Minor Threat a lot? No, never. Never saw them live. They had mm. broken up. They had broken up right before gotcha. we, um, we started going to shows there. How about Bad Brains? But, um, Are they still tooling around? Bad Brains, we saw a marble bar in, in um, Baltimore. Oh, wow. Tiny little shithole. Probably like 15 skinheads ready to kill everybody in the crowd. But we, we were rolling, I think there was about seven or eight with us, so no beef, which was good. <laughs> <laughs> which is the way you had to roll back then. Which was good um, for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back, back then, back then you could... Sneak. You could. You didn't even have to sneak. You could carry guns, knives, whatever into shows back then. So, and there was no security. So, it was. Um, it was. It wasn't hot topic punk. <laughs> this no, is it was DC. You, it was Commander Salamander punk. Yeah, actually, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Those of you who don't know Commander Salamander, I don't even know if it's the still go to. I think it still is. That's the go to for punk rock supplies. Everything that Hot Topic does ripped off from Commander Salamander. Yeah. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. John and I are serious Strike Anywhere fans, and I remember yeah. talking to Thomas the Singer about you. And I see. He's there from Richmond, and I was like, uh, oh, you know, Virginia, I'm from Virginia. And, you know, it's like, yeah, Rush is from Maryland, you know, does H2O. And Thomas went, images. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And I that didn't was know. Af- that was after Roadside Pets. And you sang, though. Yeah, yeah I was full on note, didn't play. I, I didn't even play guitar at that point. You know, I still don't now, but <laughs> I do my best. But <clears throat> back then, I was just um, I would I would write songs, just hum tunes to other dudes who could play, and um, I sang for that band. Uh, images it was um, two guitar players. Um, one guy was into Guns N' Roses. One guy was into Slayer. Um, bass player was into New York hardcore. The drummer was into New York hardcore and Rush. So oh, he had hey. he had like a so basically you were in faith kid. no more, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, before or b- before Mike Patton, yeah. This was, that was um, yeah, it was um, based in Annapolis area, so wow. like uh, Maryland. That was um, let's say what was that like eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. When did H2O start? Um, summer ninety four. And so this whole time you and Toby and Todd were still hanging and friends and that's when you oh, decided yeah, just yeah. to form the band? Yeah, it was funny. We, um, <clears throat> excuse me, his brother, um, Toby's brother Todd had a band called The Out Crowd. So when we had, me, me and Todd had um, Roadside Pets and it was um, three, uh, three people from the county. We had a girl bass player, Tina, Tina Downey. We had um, Wayne Williams on drums and this kid, John, John on guitar and, um, we, um, me, me and Todd and, and Todd was like, I want to do this. I want to tour. I want to do all these things. And we had three people who were, you know, like, well, I'm going to be going to college. I'm, Hey, I live in the County. I do this. And, um, so there was a discrepancy between him and a guitar player. So we broke that up and we both split. 
he started a band called the Out Crowd, and then I, I started a band. Um, I think we called ourselves Midlife Crisis, and it was just like a grabbed a handful of people, and I had a handful of songs, and um, we actually we had a battle of the bands where Out Crowd played. Uh, my band at the time, Midlife Crisis, played, and um, there was like a, a bunch of other stuff that was like you know, hokey folk singers. It, it, it ran a gamut from you know indie to like um, folk crap. But um, we ended up winning. <laughs> we won. We won the battle of bands, and we had only been a band for like two weeks. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. fucking awesome! Nice. We won this battle of bands. It's like two hundred bucks and a case of beer." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was at the at the college at St. Mary's College, but it was at St. Mary's. Yeah. Oh wow, that's yeah. like right. That's in the water. Yeah. Yeah. St. Mary's yeah. in Maryland. It just it just reeks of swamp. Yeah, it's, it's totally surrounded by water. So um, when um, this band Images, they had a singer that they were having trouble with, and. And they said, um, yeah, we're kicking out our singer, and you know, we know you sang for this band. Would you be interested in doing this? And I'm like, fuck yeah. So I moved to Annapolis and, um, and started playing with the band Images. And um, we, we put out one, I think a tape, one or two tapes. We recorded some, uh, a seven-inch, put out a seven-inch, and then we did a full-length with um, DSI. And um, John Fox now works at um, um, Discord. And this past year, he goes, hey... I just want to let you know, I found this stockpile of records, you know, old images records, and we're going to put it out on Discord now. So I'm like, fuck yeah, 20 <laughs> years later, we're on Discord. We always wanted to be on Discord. <laughs> but um, but it was, awesome. um, that, that band ran, ran with that band for like three or four years. And, um, and then everyone, you know, our drummer wanted to move out to L.A. and we were, you know, East Coast. So I kind of split that band up. But, and, then, um, and then from the, the Ash of Images, is that where H2O or in the, in the Out Crowd, that's where it all came together? Um, the Out Crowd, Todd moved from, from Maryland to New York. And I think Todd's, Todd's um, intention was, I'm going to move to New York with my band. I'm going to get signed and, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to do this thing for the rest of my life. And um, so he moved to New York and had all those things going. And um, I was like, well, this the last with the images i was like ah yeah this breakup left a sour taste and i was i had started going to school going to college for art so i was like um you know i'm gonna run with the college thing and see how that goes because I, I got accepted into suny new paltz mm-hmm. at this point so i was moving up to new york and toby moved up to new york i think in 88 because um he was friends with um Civ and mm-hmm. like the Gorilla Biscuits crew, the Token Entry, all those guys. So um, they said, "Yeah, why don't you come move up to New York?" He actually sang on that that Gorilla Biscuits record. He backing vocals. Toby did. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And um, you, when you were going to school for art, did you know what kind of art? Did you know it was going to be jewelry? No, no. no. When um, I, I started drawing and painting. I always did comic book art from you know since I was a little kid. Yeah, I was going to ask, you how know. did you get into working with like metals? Yeah, I, yeah. It would. Told dumb luck, I couldn't get into a, a painting class, and they said, "Well, for your degree, you need a crafts credit." And it was like, um, you know, you can take a printmaking class, you can take a ceramics, or you can take this jewelry class. And I'm thinking none of those sound appealing, but um, I thought, well, you know, jewelry class, I can make stuff. You know, maybe I can sell it. I can, you know, pay for my college. <laughs> and it just seemed for, for some reason I was like, ah, oh, you know, I. I make things to be, I, I would always, <laughs> since I was a kid, my dad would be like, I'm not going to buy you that model. You got to make it. 
here's a knife and a piece of wood, <laughs> you know, pretty blunt, and taught me how to work with my hands and use hands. You need this knife when you go to a show to see Bad Boy. <laughs> <laughs> you might need it on the way out. <laughs> how early into the band did you guys record? Because I remember I was exposed to H2O. I was at the record store, and I was leaping through the seven inches, and there was a four-song demo, uh, which I felt like... I used to see all the time everywhere, which is... Oh, the one with Moon on the front cover with the ABCs, the little blocks? Well, I had that too, but I had one that was just black oh. with like white lettering oh, on yeah. it. Eyeball Records, I think, yes. put it out. Yeah, yeah. Vinny Eyeball. That was actually... Um, we um, we recorded with Don Fury, and um, I think um, Walter Schreifels was in the in the studio with us for that. Oh, wow. And um, he was um, like lending a production ear, and... Um, but but that was um, originally was going to just be demos for Epitaph because at that point um, Toby met um, Lars and Tim on a Sick of It All tour because Toby was roadieing with those guys and um, and they would come out and do like one song was Sick of It All and he called My Love Is Real and Toby would just scream his scream his lungs out and like bust veins in his head <laughs> and um, the. And the guys in Rancid are like, oh, yeah, and the guys are sick of it all. You should do this H2O thing. You should do that. And that's when he hit me up. He's like, dude, get a guitar. Let's get this band going. And he had talked. I know before H2O, there were um, different incarnations because he was actually thinking about doing um, um, a band called Scarred for Life. And um, he actually demoed with um, Caves from Lords of Brooklyn. And um, it was going to be like more uh, like a a hip-hop hardcore Mm -hmm. thing. And then, um, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, get a guitar. And I bought a $100 guitar. And um, we went um, uh, maybe not even three months of practicing. And um, I wrote, like, and Sick of It All also was incentive. Mm-hmm. They said, if you, you know, get 12 songs together and we'll take you to Europe next summer. <laughs> so this was in August. Pete um, actually wrote one of our first songs, at least the music for um, one of our first songs. Pete from, from Sick of It All. All right. And, um, but yeah, it's, it, the way, the way it kind of came about, it, it was a little bit of a snowball and, and within months we were recording and then, um, you know, we actually took the, the demo that we made with Don Fury. Rancid was doing Outcome the Wolves at Electric Ladyland and Mr. Brett was there and that was when Mr. Brett and Rancid, you know, like they were like, he was like the sixth member basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tim said, why don't you come over and let him hear the demo? And we went over there and played the demo for him. We're all proud, like, yeah, you're going to sign this, right? We're going to be on Epitaph. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. And he looks at us like, oh, yeah, you know, I think you should keep writing. And, you, know, <laughs> and just, you know, demo a little bit more and, and you know, then you back to me. And um, <clears throat> and then they're like, oh, yeah, check out these Rancid songs and played us a bunch of the, the Outcome the Wolves stuff. And we're like, yeah, this is really good shit. That's cool. And, and you guys are awesome. We love you guys. And, and when we left the studio... And we kind of looked at each other and we we're like, you know, Mr. Brett, ah, we're like, ah, fuck that guy. We're going to put it out ourselves. <laughs> and, um, so we just, <laughs> you know, you're young and dumb and you don't realize that, you know, someone who has music experience mm-hmm. and an actual ear, when they tell you you should keep demoing and you need a little work, you should kind of take it with a, you either take it to heart or with a grain of salt, but at least listen to it. And we're like, <laughs> no, man, we're, we're going to keep, we're going to steamroll through this thing. <laughs> fuck that guy. We're going on to this. And it was a pretty eyeball. fast start. I remember because oh, yeah. I am outcrowd with Ann was outcrowd on blackout. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you guys did stuff on blackout too, right? Um, yeah, yeah. We did our first record on blackout. Yeah, okay. Recorded three days for fifteen hundred bucks, and Bill sold like a uh, hundred and 
I think 180,000 copies. <laughs> yeah, it's probably his biggest record, man. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it happened really fast. It was. Um, but yeah, Todd wasn't even in the band at that point yeah. before, because um, Outcrow was still doing their thing, and we um, we rancid we opened for rancid at the Limelight, and from there it was like. We sold 100 T-shirts in one night, and we're going, holy shit, we just sold 100 <laughs> T-shirts. This is amazing. And, yeah. this was, and I think Rock it was stars. like maybe our kind of third, third or fourth legit show. That's sick. In your defense, I mean, imagine being Mr. Brett and listening like, oh, Out Come the Wolves. Like, that's going to be like what, like the seminal <laughs> punk rock records of all time, probably. Uh, like, and then bringing, here's my demo. Yeah. Let's like, do this H2O stuff. <laughs> I think, that we uh, just wrote. That's amazing. <laughs> and I feel like you guys were always touring, too. I feel like H2O. I remember seeing oh, you yeah. guys in Cleveland with, I think, AFI and Snapcase. Hmm. But I remember I felt like every time I went to a show for a while, it was like, you we're, guys really were hitting it hard. Oh, yeah. We um, we definitely we toured like 10 months out of the year for about eight years. Were you still in school? Um, my um, The day I graduated, when I was supposed to walk with the cap and gown, um, we flew um, We flew to Europe to start a tour with Sick of It All. It was like a two-month European tour with right Sick on. of It All and Civ. And right um, we shared a bus with um, with Civ. So it was um, it was one of those um, Scott McGee. Do you, you remember? You ever mm-hmm. meet Scott McGee? Scott McGee, Scott McGee, Doc McGee's brother. So Doc has mm-hmm. like Kiss and you know, he's big, big time in his brother Scott, who was like a college football player. He's like, oh, I'm going to... In in our minds, it seemed like he was grabbing grabbing um, every band from the New York hardcore scene, um, post hardcore. He had Quicksand, Orange Nine. He grabbed Civ. Oh wow! And through Civ, he like um, he's like, oh yeah, H two O. Let's let's get those guys too. And um, I gotta say, pretty much everything that we've had or accomplished, it was um, it's it's all like who you know. Mm-hmm. It was all like handshake deals and. You know, oh hey, so and so vouches for me, and boom. And you know how New York, New York, if you vouch for someone, people really yeah. believe it yeah. because um, it, it's um, as a New Yorker, you put like fifty layers up, <laughs> and if someone actually gets through those layers, then you're like, yeah, that person's a good person. I can trust them. Dude, that that's you. That that is Rusty Pistachio <laughs> right there. You you have been uh, in my interview career, like what I would call like the. Hey, I'm cool too. Landmine, I know Rusty. <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> do, do you do you remember this? Where where years ago Pennywise came to the studio, and I was so scared. I said, "Will you come hang out?" And you came and just hung out in, no, in yeah. the green room because yeah. I was petrified. And then they were like, "Oh, oh, Rusty's here. Okay, cool. All right, cool." And Fletcher was like, oh, "Okay." This was before you knew me. Clearly. Yeah, definitely before I knew John. <laughs> so you're saying Rusty's your beard to punk rock? <laughs> Rusty's my Kevlar at the punk <laughs> because I always, I always had the experience that whenever I would interview someone they always because I, I'm not part of any scene I just was a fan you know so they'd be like what's this tool then I'd be like well I you know, know your band and, and I would you know do my slightly 30 levels down pinfield thing where people think I know about stuff but I just listen to it then they go oh, okay you're cool you know mm. or whatever that means but for like the older school bands <laughs> I would get really nervous like I, I, social distortion came by and Rush is like, oh, yeah, tell him, tell Mike D and Johnny Two Big said hi. I'm like, that's the first thing I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're good dudes. So then social distortion shows up to Stevens and Tata Rock Show thinking they're on Little Stevens Underground Garage. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right funny. then and there. 
And I was like, oh, hey, Rusty says hi. Oh, Rusty, yeah, say hi, that's great. <laughs> and then Johnny Two Bags goes, and here's the segue Jonah's been waiting for. Johnny goes, fucking Rusty. And in my head, I have a thousand thoughts like, oh, shit. Like, what? Did something happen? What's going on? And he went, man, I saw Rusty lay three guys out once. He's like, I was like, what? He went, yeah, Dwayne Peters was getting the shit kicked out of him. Oh, yeah, by the bouncers. And out comes Rusty. Uh, Where was that? In in the Chameleon. I think um, it's Pennsylvania. It's total like, Naziville. I think it's in Lancaster or something. Lancaster. Yeah, Yeah. I I played there. It was uh, Punkarama Tour in 98. That's how long it's a million years ago. It seems like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it was like US five bomb years show? ago. Um, uh, H2O, Bouncing Souls, U.S. Bombs, um, Union 13, and Straight Faced. And that show, they were, that show um, it was one of those days where we had been on tour for a while, and we had a, a tour manager who really wanted to keep us on track. And that day we were like, you know what? Fuck everything. We want to go somewhere and get some food. And he's like, if you if you're late for sound check, I'm I'm docking your per diems or something like that, which you know we have the power of, but <laughs> we gave that power to him. Mm-hmm. So we get back, and you know, yeah, you guys were late. No one gets a PD today, and we're like, what the fuck? Kind of irritated. <laughs> so the day started off kind of irritating. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> as as the as the show was going, these um, you know, I, I figured instead of being backstage with our tour manager. I felt like choking. I was like, I'm going to go out front and talk to the kids because, you know, for me, the only reason I'll do it, I'll be like, oh, I want to see, you know, what goes on in this town, what goes through your head, what are you thinking? And then I, I go out front and this kid's got these this blood blister of lines on his neck. I'm like, dude, what the fuck happened to your neck? And he's like, yeah, that bouncer, he, he choked me and he threw me down a flight of stairs just because I was trying to stage dive. I'm like, it's a fucking punk rock show in a little shit club in a shit town. And um, I'm like... What the fuck? You should be able to do whatever you want to do. So um, <clears throat> I went to our tour manager. I said, look, I'm going to bring you in through the back door. He goes, I just want to see the Bouncing Souls. I'm like, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to put you on the stage with the Bouncing Souls. Right. It just sucks that a bouncer would choke you like that. It's bullshit. So I told our, our tour manager. I showed him the kid. And, um, and I said, you know, we need, to, we need to talk to someone about this. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, don't worry. I'll take care of it. So put the kid on the stage. Everything's fine. Dwayne Peters comes back stage, and he's all fucked up looking and glasses even more broken and beat <laughs> up. And, and he's like, dude, some bouncer just tossed me out of here like I was Fred Flintstone. He's like, <laughs> like doing like the foot motion. And, um, and, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I was like, and, that, and that's when our, our tour manager goes, um, he goes, um, and, and here we have all this pent up. We're a little pissed off to begin with it and then this escalates a little and our tour manager goes hey rusty come with me we're gonna go talk to the head of security like yeah cool (laughs) so um i'm like let's go have let's go have words with these motherfuckers and um so we get to the the front door and the head of security dude was probably like what four feet wide and six feet six feet tall and um like a big fat toad looking like on uh, the blob in um, <laughs> that, that, that X-Men thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he's sitting down and um, our tour manager is, what, six, two, about maybe a little bit taller than me. And, and he goes up to him. He's like, hey, you know, we, we need to talk because your, your security guys are choking kids and now they're choking band members. And, um, and um, while he's talking to this guy, he's got his back to, you know, the steroid pump 
guy who's even bigger, you know, and the guy's like, and he, he goes, he's talking to, our tour manager is talking to this bouncer saying, you know, whoever is doing this, we need to get them away from the kids and, you know, put them maybe, maybe they can watch the dressing room door so, you know, nobody gets back there. We just put them somewhere where he's not choking kids. And he's like, and who is this guy anyways? And And you hear behind him, you hear, it's, I, I'm the one who did that, motherfucker. You got beef. Who's got beef? And he raises his hands up in the air. And it was probably about 10 feet between this huge-ass steroid pump motherfucker and, and the, the blob guy at the front door. And there was probably 10 kids in between. And, um, and I'm standing in between those kids. And he makes a beeline for the tour manager. And as he's going, he's swinging his arms, like chopping down trees. I'm Paul Bunyan, bam, <laughs> knocking Jesus. kids out as he's going. He's going to choke our tour manager. And, you know, me, me being an opportunist, um, <laughs> I, turned, I turned so he just kind of drifted past me and he didn't know I was there. And when he walked past me, I grabbed the back of his shirt and just started drilling him in the back of the head and aiming him towards the door. As I'm steady punching this guy and walking towards the door and walking towards out the door towards the curb it was a good 15 steps 15 20 steps and it was probably a good 15 20 punches <laughs> to the back of the head and i felt this kind of electric spark and I'm like what the fuck was that it turns out the big blob dude punched me from behind <laughs> and as i turned around you know, he had a ponytail and he's falling, and I was like, makes a good handle. I grab the ponytail and do like this twist, a little uppercut. And and it was literally the first time. I, I'm not a I'm not a brawler, but it was the first time I saw teeth fly out of someone's head. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is like, you're like fuck a yeah. fucking superhero. All right, first of all, <laughs> this is the best story it, ever. Wait, sorry, they just I have to stop for a second. So this is totally you're a total like punk rock superhero. Um, one, did you think your fight training like came from the old like the DC shows, or do you think, oh like, yeah. yeah, like you were like I'm not really a fighter. Oh, you have to be now. Yeah, like, it was like that sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, and definitely because I never. You guys, anyone knows me? I'm not the guy who will go out and start stuff. I, I'm the guy who would be like, "Why'd you beat up my friend? That's so fucked up." Pow! <laughs> <laughs> I like I, I defend my friends, but um, this guy was funny because he hit me, and then um, I see him falling, and I see over his shoulder. Todd and Toby had tripped him up because they saw that he was going to grab me from behind. They tripped him up, and he was after he hit me. They tripped him up, and um, so this dude, both of them basically collapsed in the street. After, uh, on the on the side of the curb, and I'm standing over top of them. Every time one of them like shakes and just tries to get up, bam! They drill him again. <laughs> so he would stay down, and then um, and then all these police roll up on bicycles. <laughs> you know, like throw my hands up in the air, like eh, they were trying to kill me. I, <laughs> and here's these two dudes, like kind of knocked out on the ground. <laughs> and of course, yeah. <laughs> They put me they put me in handcuffs, and then the guy kind of they lift him up, and and the cop is standing in front of me, and another cop you know has my hands behind my back, and I'm looking, and the cop is talking to the guy, and and I'm looking at the guy, I'm like, you know, I got you, I got you, motherfucker, I'm giving the, the guy that I knocked out the big steroid pump bounce, bouncer, I'm looking at him like, yeah, I got you, motherfucker, and you see him, he actually, and Todd Todd Morris is like, yeah, did you see him? He actually agreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got me. <laughs> but in my mind, I, he's like, yeah, you got. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. Let's do it again. That's what I'm thinking. But Todd's like, no, he had this defeated look in his eye. Like, <laughs> yeah, you did get me. <laughs> but this is um, punk punk rock or or, or t- tough guy 101. 
if you want to go on the warp tour and have everyone move when you want to sit down at a table <laughs> <laughs> or like treat you like gross burger from um what's um the old uh marty uh uh, with Richard Pryor and um, see, I'm going old references. So <laughs> let's name, go with something newer. We'll go someone, <laughs> if you want to be like the the, the big giant ball headed jailhouse dude that sits down at the table and everyone moves, right. have um have like um beat up two dudes in front of bouncing souls, um, U.S. bombs, <laughs> straight face, <laughs> and then have those bands go on the warp tour and go, yeah, oh yeah, and have Dwayne, have Dwayne Peters walk around and be like, yo, Rusty, he's like the white Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, he actually said I laughed. I'm like, shit. Like, like, it's far, the farthest thing from the truth. It, it's like, you know, there's so many legit tough dude, tough guys, and I know I know a bunch of dudes that are pretty much, they're warriors. And, and, that's not. That's my, I'm a fucking jeweler. <laughs> now I am. But yeah, but you're a jeweler who knocked out like giant bouncers. blob dude and like this other steroid pump guy. Like that's pretty but, serious. Yeah. By luck, by luck of like catching him from behind. Positioning <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah. There's no rules. Yeah. It, these There's are no, street no rules in fight, right? Yeah, yeah, and also you're doing it to protect people, which is pretty. You know, that's yeah. serious. But you were like kind of thrown into that, like you're saying, you just by going to the yeah. shows, you're like you have to defend yourself. You have, oh yeah, you know, Jules. your buddies are going to get in fights. And- oh man, we we used to see like Wilson Center in D.C. Yeah, we saw uh, we used to see uh, we go to shows there, and it, back then it was a huge eclectic crowd. So it would be you know punkers, skinheads, skaters, goths, um, every new wavers, every every form of you know you know underground scene. It's very D.C. Yeah, in <laughs> um. You would have um, <clears throat> skinheads would be like, okay, let's fuck that guy up. And you'd see five dudes jump on one dude and be like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. And um, you'd be like, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to be that dude. <laughs> is that in the era, <laughs> that that the era of my own Sharps? Posse. Remember Sharps? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Remember those guys? You know, yeah. those I have a friend here from high school who moved here who was a Sharp. And I went to like a party at his house. I was like, you guys wouldn't believe like Charlie was a skinhead in high school. And he was like, no. <laughs> like it was like all his like corporate business friends. He was like, "Please don't try to explain what an anti-racist skinhead is to yeah. my friends." Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that I was one for a long time. I, I knew I knew this guy in college who was a sharp, and and then then you have the guys that are. He's like, I'm a skin, but I'm not a fucking Nazi. You know, mm-hmm. like like there there's there's a Fair difference. You know, yeah. yeah. It's like and, I like the business. Fuck you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like screwdriver. You know, yeah. I'm not a fucking you know, Nazi dude. It's funny how everybody like heard screwdriver and we're like, the music's good. I can't can't get past the lyrics. Can't get past the lyrics. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's like if if Hitler was an actual actually a really good painter, you'd be like, wow, that's a really good painting, but it's fucking Hitler. <laughs> 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 it's fucking, the fucking worst guy in the fucking world. Why does he gotta have talent? Uh, yeah, but, uh, I really want to hate this. Blend of color. It's <laughs> a good tree. I mean, I'm curious. What was it like, kind of, in the early days of kind of that New York hardcore scene? I mean, with like the CBs matinees. I mean, like, and all that stuff. Did Violent. it feel like it was like a real community? Oh I mean, yeah, yeah. Sunday matinees. Even, yeah. Like even, I mean, we, you know, AF and AF and, and Warzone and you know all all those all those bands were setting it off for at least for the New York hardcore scene, and then you know sick of it all. And and but our our wave was like. um yeah, it was like H two O, uh, Madball, Crown of Thorns, um, 
you had um, Shift was playing, Orange 9mm was playing um, from Long Island, uh, Vision of the Disorder. So it's like that That was kind of, you know, our, our New York fan, I mean, Mur- Murphy's Law, mm-hmm. like all those guys were, were still present and still doing, and and they embraced us. We, um, I mean, our New, New York hardcore, I, I still to this day, it's like we went to um, Descendants in... Um, and they played a Golden Voice, 30-year mm-hmm. Golden Voice show. And I'm thinking, okay, Descendants are here. You know, all all these people I, I know are going to be there. And I went backstage at that show. And um, and it felt a little, to me it felt weird because it's like, I, I looked around and it's like a lot of 40, 50-something punk dudes that are acting like they're 18. And um, But when I go to a New York show and I'm backstage and all the, the, the New York bands and fans and people there's it's this whole different vibe and it's um you know here you you get a vibe where um, i can bring my wife backstage and i don't have to worry about some drunk idiot like pouring beer on her and bumping into her Uh, you know i know that everyone is going to give her full respect and and you know if um if she's standing in line at the bar they're going to step aside and be like hey let me get that for you you the new york family and the new york hardcore scene it's like it's um it's got a, a a good fellas vibe in the in the sense that you know um you look out for each other mm-hmm. you it's almost like there's a set of uh, uh, an unspoken set of rules that that you give respect in order to give it yeah, i mean it you get you give respect in order to get it i'm way over tired you'll <laughs> 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 be editing <laughs> no but it's um but yeah it's um <clears throat> the, when we were coming up in the new york hardcore scene you know, you had um, Tramps, you had Wetlands, Seabees, uh, Limelight. There was a, a way more place, Brownies, <clears throat> a lot more places to play. And um, and the city was way more, I don't know, the city was just fucking cooler back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, it's uh, it, I guess it, things change, progress, <laughs> whatever. But, it, you know, back then, you know, it was a, it was a time New, New York City was, pretty fucking dangerous you know, like the avenues you know you you knew if you if you weren't paying attention you could get mugged or beat up or if you were to show and you were standing in the wrong place at the wrong time you know you could get fucked up but um but yeah you uh, you took me i i was not here for any of that you know listen to it peripherally and i found that living in dc you're growing up outside of dc you get sucked into the Discord world. You would only mm-hmm. listen to Discord bands, and you know, I didn't. I fell into Gorilla Biscuits. I didn't know anything about New York hardcore, um, but Gorilla Biscuits did that Save CB show, and it was. Oh, yeah. uh, um, I can't remember who opened, but uh, I went with you, and thank God I did because <laughs> perfect space to watch the band. Right, <laughs> dude, the crowd was bonkers, and to get through the crowd. I literally had a panic attack because I was because luckily Rusty was in front of me. I was like, just just hold on to Rusty's shirt, and Rusty's like, move, 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 pounding through because you got a text or something from Brian from the Bouncing Souls. Oh, Black Train Jack opened. Yeah, oh, oh, dude, good. I used to love Black Train Jack. Yeah. Love yeah. that band. So good. I kind of went to see them more than I went to see Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah, they, they don't play ever. <clears throat> Yeah, I play actually play with those guys for a little bit. Not Black Train Jack, but uh, Nine Lives. Right now, well, the the bass player from Black Train Jack's an FBI agent. Yeah, Brian. So he he's the Brian and the Souls, and they're like, 
We're above the stage at CB's. I'm like, that little spot back? No, above that. So Rusty's like, all right. <laughs> Pounding through. I'm behind him. The crowd pushes together, and I'm wedged. I'm like pressed up against your back. My feet got lifted up off the ground. <laughs> and, I was like, to me. and I was like, that's it. This is how it ends right here. I'm done. My life's over. I'm going to die in CBGB's. And we push our way through. And there's the back of the stage, but then there was like this little ladder. And Rusty crawls up and just pulls me up by my head. And we You're sat basically in the vents, up in the air ducts almost. We sat in the air ducts of CBGB. <laughs> really? Up where they throw all that dirty gear yeah, all and dirty stuff? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was perfect because you could lean and you had a perfect view. The sound was bouncing off the ceiling. So Couldn't see yeah. the crowd, but could see the band perfectly. Yeah. And there's Walter Schreifels with long hair and moccasins. <laughs> he mocks us. Oh, it was hilarious. Last yeah. time I saw Gorilla Biscuits, Walter was definitely wearing a cape. <laughs> it was so awesome. <laughs> He's like, I'll show you. I'll show you new hardcore guys. <laughs> I've been around and done a million things for a million years. I'll do whatever fuck I want to do. <laughs> but know, um, so, yeah. so, so H2O is touring and you're playing and, and you have a following. The first time I saw H2O was at the 2004 10 year Warp Tour anniversary. Oh, in Boston? Yeah, up in Boston. Yeah. I was on the side of the stage with um, uh, with that, Debbie. Yeah. And, was, just, and I was just like, this band's great. Was that awesome. was a good show. It was a great show. So <laughs> H2O eventually does sign to Epitaph. Yeah. yeah so we, did you guys go back to Brad after the Blackout record? Or did, was he like, oh, no, I heard he, this record? He, he came to us. We um we put out that Blackout record because we were like, okay, Epitaph doesn't want us. So, you know, fuck it, we'll put it out ourselves. And, and we met Bill Wilson and Bill's like, yeah, I'll do it. And before that, we had done, we did a seven inch, we, the demo, we were like, well, we don't want the demo to go to waste. And, um, we put all this time and energy. So we put it out with eyeball and then, um, we went with, with, to equal vision. I think we recorded one or two more songs, took, um, a couple songs from that demo and a couple new songs, gave it to equal vision and they pressed that seven inch with Toby's wife on it. And then, um, from there, you know, we just kept writing and touring. And I think the Boston's took us up and down the East coast and, um, we had we had gone to Europe. We're sick of it all for two months. And um, when we got back from Europe, we weren't our drummer. It just wasn't a, a good fit. And he had, he had his his agenda. And I knew he was you know he's a college kid. And he was like I'm going to teach. So we knew he was heading that direction. And, and um, so we asked Todd the out crowd at that point. I think Todd was doing singing, songwriting, guitar playing, and all the business. And he goes, I just want to play guitar in a band. And um, me, me and Toby, we, H2O had been a band, touring band for a year. And um, so we're like, let's let's get your brother. He's a good guitar player. He'll you know help step up our game. And we and we and we're like, well, let's take Todd Friend too. We we're getting rid of our drummer. So we um, that's when in '95. That's when we were became kind of the band we are now, minus Adam at the time. We had um, Eric Rice on bass. So you missed your graduation. You're on tour with the band. Now the band's been around for a while. Were you just doing jewelry on the side? When yeah. did Peanuts start? Then '95, uh, pretty much um, '95, summer '95. I um, it's like I'd always been doing jewelry for different people and wedding rings. It's like I made a, I think uh, I made a, a horseshoe ring for Civ years ago, and um, but so I would always take on custom projects because um, straight out of grad school, I got a studio space in Jersey City. Because I thought, you know, this this is what I've been doing for the past seven, eight years, working in a studio in the school. So the natural thing was let me get a raw space and build my own studio. 
And um, so I had an awesome space in Jersey City. It's Now it's all condos. But also you are a avid motorcycle enthusiast. Oh, hell yeah. Um, you've been in more wrecks than any human being I've ever yeah, met in my LA, life. LA. In, in New York, I put 20,000 miles on a Bonneville in New York, and I got bumped a couple times. I definitely took like at least five mirrors off the cabs because <laughs> they, they they take over your lane and, and just give you the finger and, and cut you off and do dumb shit. And, um, but, but yeah, I put 20,000 miles in Manhattan with just a few fights. <laughs> Wait, how, do you, how do you take the mirror off? Like they hit you or you just you like just, rip it off? Uh, kick, kick, kicked a couple of them, punched one guy. Um, me and my wife were headed, actually headed to, um, Hammerstein Ballroom. You're only strengthening the superhero. <laughs> You're only making it I better. I feel like I'm getting tougher listening to this. <laughs> I'm just going to go outside and punch someone. <laughs> punch the first cabbie I see. That's the one thing coming back to New York because I, I come back every time I'm in New York. Um, it's almost like me versus cab. Me versus cab. <laughs> me versus um, cab, buses, and garbage men. <laughs> well, I wanted to hear about, tell who, who you ride with in California, like you, you ride with with a with a crew of guys. Oh yeah, um, Hell, Hellfire Canyon. We we um we started kind of fan, fantasy cycle club. There yeah, you know, your motorcycle. Say who's in your motorcycle the, club? Um, Steve Jones from um, Sex Pistols. Yeah, just that Steve Jones. Jones. No big I thought you were gonna say, you were gonna say Steve Looker. <laughs> he rides with us. Steve Looker rides yeah. with us. Um, in the so over the like um. Initially, it was like uh, Danny Boy from House of Pain. Mm-hmm. So Danny Boy, we were talking at a Cro-Mag show in, in L.A. And I moved to L.A. knowing that the weather is going to be 365 days of Bike beautiful riding. weather and yeah. biking weather. So I, I, you know, I moved out to L.A. with two motorcycles and then two turns into five. Now it's back down to three. <laughs> but um, we, um, I meet up with Danny Boy and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm going on a ride with Steve Jones. And um, I'm thinking, fuck you, awesome. Steve Jones, Sex Pistols, you know, great guitar player and and super fucking witty and funny. And um, so just three of us go riding around and and, um, and Danny Boy, he says to Danny Boy, he's like, yeah, I like your mate. Why don't you invite him next time we go? So Danny Boy's like, yeah, you know, I want to do this. When I was living in New York, the only person I could ride with is Brian Keelan from Bouncing Souls because I tried to get band people on motorcycles in New York and get a little, you know, mu- musicians on bikes, artists on bikes, like a, a crew. And um, it it was like pulling teeth. I couldn't get anyone to do it. And I moved to L.A. and just one conversation, and all of a sudden there's like three people. And then the next week, you know, we get everyone hyped. Oh, get a bike. And people who had bikes started coming out. So... Like uh, Billy Morrison bought a bike. Um, we had this guy Tim Green. He, he he comes out with us. He used to roadie with the Colt. He for for years. And then, um, but over the past couple of years, we've had um, you know Billy Duffy from the Colt, Billy Idol, come out and ride with us. And like What's for Duffy me, ride? He, uh, Triumph. All right. Um, the, this could go they, very bikey with Brad and Russ. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they all got um, Ducatis though. The, they, they did they? this Ducatis All Stars thing where it was um, Steve Jones, Billy Morrison, um, um, Billy Duffy, and um, uh, fuck, this awesome singer. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but um, so Ducati basically said, you know, here we'll do this All Stars tour and we'll lend you these bikes. Really? Not indefinitely, but for as long as you kind of want to ride them. Sweet. And um, so they had a, a sweet hookup. But um, I'm, I think my the, the the glory day for me for for riding was um, 
And we're riding in um, Angeles Forest, and it's all these canyons. And um, everyone, to get back to Hollywood, there's two di- two different ways, and everyone kind of went right. But we, I was the quickest way home was left, and I was thinking, did they all go that way? Because they they broke out ahead of us. They were easily like three four miles ahead of us. And um, Steve Looker was with us, and um, and Billy Idol with his girlfriend on the back. And um, so I pull over and I and I say, um, I think those guys are taking that way. It's a little bit longer ride. I said I'm heading back to. He goes and Billy Idol's like, which way are you headed? Like I'm headed back to Hollywood, and he's like, I'll follow you, and and I'm on my bike going, fuck yeah! (laughs) (laughs) Billy Idol following me back to Hollywood. I'm leading the way. I'm like the leader of the pack right here. And And then your head is doom, 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 doom. Yeah, in my head I'm going (laughs) mo, mo, mo. But um, the third story in the in this where success happens fast for you, Rusty. You go to L.A. and freaking riding. Billy Isles following you to Hollywood. <laughs> it sounds more glamorous, I guess, than it. No, no, actually, it's kind of glamorous. Huh? <laughs> like when you're riding bikes with Steve Jones or something, do you have to kind of play a cool? Like, can you be like, "Oh, dude, I love the Sex Pistols." Be like, "Oh, hey, what's up, man? Like, nice bike." Like, do you have to still kind of play it cool, or can you geek out a little bit? I, I, I can. I'll put it to you this way, or I can. I can put it in a story. There's um. <laughs> We um we start the Hellfire thing and Danny Danny Boy's concept. Um, he's like, yeah, let's let's do this fantasy crew. We're gonna rep Malibu because you know like Malibu's most wanted. It's like the softest, most unbiker, un hip hop hardcore. And um, yeah, let's rep Malibu because you know we we're all gonna be pimping in in our crib in Malibu and and um you know riding these bikes. But um we um we used to do um like a, we still do. There's a Facebook page and. And we'd put a, hey, we're going to meet at Headley's and we're going to go on a ride. And we left it open for kind of anyone who wanted to be part of it could join up. And this dude rolls up on this awesome Triumph and um, really quiet. And everyone's looking at like, you know that guy? I don't know that guy. Hey, what's your name? John. Hey, John, how you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I saw on Facebook you guys are going to go ride. You, you mind if I tag along? And in, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. You're on a bike, you're a nice bike. Obviously, you know what you're doing, you got here. So we go on a ride through the canyons, and um, one of the guys we're riding with um, cuts in uh, the inside on a turn, and this guy on the Triumph is on the outside of, a, of the apex. He gets spooked by this guy who's zipping past him, thinking, you know, whenever with our crew, whenever you move to the right side of the lane, that means you're going to go slower so people can pass you. And this guy <clears> is in the in the far right lane. One of our guys goes to pass him, spooks him. He loses track of, you know, the road that's curving, kind of goes straight, goes over a, almost a, a ravine. They were Five dudes were able to pull his bike out of the ravine. The dude fucking broke his... Um, collarbone? Yeah. Collarbone and, and the chest plate. Sternum. Sternum. Like, Ouch. Totally fucked up. His... Um, his arms all, like, fucking bleeding. The dude's all fucked up looking. The helmet all... Beautiful triumph just... Pe- it's not a total wreck because he can ride it away. Right. And um, and they're like, "Fuck, dude, let's follow you." You know, we'll. No, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll just turn around and go back. And you need you sure we can follow you? We can make sure you get home safe. No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, he's like, "Oh, but before I leave, can I get a picture with you, Jonesy?" <laughs> 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 You're like, 
<coughs> fucking fanboy. The dude's like, you know, <laughs> practically dying. Oh. And he wants to, I got to get a photo with you, Steve, <laughs> before I leave. So I can, I wrecked my triumph riding with Steve Jones. <laughs> and, and I was in, in my mind, I'm like, you don't, that's the, definitely don't play it like that. <laughs> that's the farthest from cool. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. You can subtitle that A Day in the Life with Rusty. Uh, that that kind of thing just happens anywhere you go with you it's like oh my god oh, hey 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 yeah I was gonna say there's a sort of magic to you like where this shit just doesn't happen to a lot of people like Billy Idol just doesn't follow everyone home on their motorcycle it uh, just doesn't happen I, yeah I feel like he would look at me and be like no I'm not following like, you guys yeah. home I wouldn't even let or, you open like a bathroom door he's for like me. you're not coming in my yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like I'm, I'm on the blue highway that way yeah. <laughs> dude thanks so much for hanging out yeah, no problem. very cool All right, so as Mike said there, um, we're all tougher now for just being in a room with Rusty. And you are tougher for having listened. Oh, yeah. What? Listener. Oh, yeah, them listening. <laughs> Not you, Stephen. Especially with me. I'm like, yeah, listen, I was right there. This is amazing. Periodically throughout this, everything falls out of your pockets. Okay, like 75 cents and a bunch of buttons. <laughs> what is that, like a pocket of holding? For the nerds out there, that's a reference to a Dungeons & Dragons bag of holding. <laughs> I'm used to wearing really tight jeans, and now I'm wearing these shorts and I stuff falls out yeah it's amazing it all is, kinds of great. things are falling out <laughs> why do these shorts come with so many extra buttons in little baggies like, <laughs> why do i need this because they assume at some point you're going to gain weight and pop the one you have except they don't know it's you that you don't gain weight oh i thought it was because you look so sexy in shorts that girls are just going to tear them off and your buttons are going to well, obviously that I, brad i went to uh a Yankees game with Vanessa the other day and they had this crazy buffet and the guy was some guy there was some drunk guy we were talking to who wanted to talk to us and he was like yeah they have this great buffet and he just like looks at me and goes well you wouldn't be interested but and I was like dude I still eat food <laughs> like I just had a like a foot long hot dog like cut me some slack but I feel like it's 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 like almost like why wouldn't I be interested because my metabolism is awesome and yeah. yours has obviously died two minutes ago <laughs> See, I wish I could still be that skinny. It's great. Well, you also fucking do yoga all the time. Like, you take care of yourself. I try. I try. You know, it, you got to balance it out. You also, you also, you know, I, I do a lot of that stuff, but you only do live once, so I feel like you have to balance it out because everything Wait, doesn't would you say you only live once? I think so. Oh. Well, you only live once, and this this is a whole other conversation. <laughs> and and it's, there's a multiverse, then... Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> No such thing as a multiverse. Different universes vibrating on different frequencies with their own. His name was Gardner Fox and he created the theory with the flash from the early, the Golden Age flash and the Silver Age flash. Meaning, those of you who are comic book fans, you already know this. All right, fine. <laughs> I think we just entered a black hole. Rusty Pistachio is a huge comic fan as well. And I don't know if we talked about this, this in the podcast, but I know for a fact his wedding ring is modeled after the ring in Lord of the Rings. Because when I saw it, I went, Rusty, is that, yeah. is that one ring to bind them, one ring to rule them all? He said, yeah, it is. <laughs> so there you go. Hardcore punk, Rusty Pistachio, nerd and proud. I hope I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.